Hello and welcome to the Provider Wellness Podcast. I'm Matthew Zinder, a certified registered nurse anesthetist. I'm an advanced practice nurse that specializes in the practice of anesthesia. The scope of this podcast will explore healthcare provider health and wellness from the broad to the specific. My aim is to educate while offering a unique perspective. Thank you for joining me today, and let's get right to the show. Hey folks, I hope everyone is well. In today's episode, I have a conversation with Dr. Richard Safir. He is the Chief Medical Director of Employee Health and Well-Being at Johns Hopkins Medicine. This means he oversees the health and wellness of 42,000 employees of the Johns Hopkins Medical System. He's been working with Hopkins for over 11 years, and we discuss the current atmosphere within healthcare where burnout and stress and personnel problems are now the norm. Plus, we go over how he is addressing this current state of healthcare. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. As always, please keep checking back for future episodes. I have many planned that will be covering many important topics in health and wellness. All previous episodes are available at the providerwellnesspodcast.com website. And remember that this show is available on all podcast platforms, so please subscribe and share the episodes. If you wish to email me with any feedback or suggestions for future shows, please do so at providerwellnesspodcast at gmail.com. And finally, like I always do, I'd like to mention the national meeting I'm involved with called the Provider Wellness Symposium. Please go to providersymposium.com for more information about this important event where healthcare professionals are enabled and empowered to engage in self-care. For those who take care of others, it's time to take care of yourselves. Again, go to providersymposium.com for more information. So without further delay, here is my discussion with Dr. Richard Safir. Thank you, Dr. Safir, for joining me. Uh, I really appreciate your time. I'm really looking forward uh, to this conversation. So as I do with all of my uh, previous guests, uh, if you could just give me a background on yourself and then we will can get into a conversation. Yeah, great. Um, youngest of four kids and uh, first doctor in the family, uh, not just our a nuclear family, but any family. And I decided to be a family doctor. Um, graduated uh, school in 1993, and uh, only was in family practice for two years before I I went into a journey to find uh, a career that would be fulfilling um, and uh, helpful to others. I've been at Johns Hopkins Medicine for the last 11 years. I'm the chief medical director of employee health and well-being. Well, again, thank you so much for your time. Uh, I've been really looking forward to this conversation because I believe what you do is something that's really within my wheelhouse. It's really within uh, the the subject of this podcast. It's something I speak on on the lecture circuit and teach at universities. And also, it's great because as we discussed before I hit the record button, uh, Hopkins is part of my background uh, in training and also in uh, working at the hospital. So this is, it's a, uh, it's very exciting for me to, to speak with you. Um, so, I mean, just getting right into it, what led you down kind of that path of, of health and well-being for providers uh, from going from a family doctor to what you do now? Yeah, well, I got to give some credit to my college education because I started uh, as pre-med not knowing what major I would choose. And after a couple of biology courses, I was like, yeah, I'm not, 
interested in studying plants any longer. So I actually was fortunate to study nutritional sciences. Uh, and that came back to me when I was a starting family physician and realized that the majority of the patients who were sitting in front of me, if they had just been given the skills to make healthier food choices or had the healthy habits of moving or ways to compensate for the stress in their life, they probably wouldn't be sitting in front of me. And as I started to feel like I wasn't making a difference in my patient's health, and as I was becoming emotionally exhausted, it really started me down a path of introspection, which landed at me taking the direction of trying to help populations of people understand what they could do to help themselves so that they wouldn't end up at the doctor's office. Yeah. So, and again, that's net now with what you're doing now, uh, from what you have gone to, you know, from, from helping patients, uh, I mean, for lack of a better way to put it, or correct me if I'm wrong, putting it this way, going from treatment to prevention, uh, living a healthier lifestyle. And now you, in your current role at Hopkins are doing that with, uh, healthcare providers, right? So how, how was that transition been? Because, one of my major interests, interest areas, it's something I'm working on. I actually have called it a personal mission is this culture that we live in as healthcare providers, where we are taught to only take care of others and not ourselves. Yeah. Now you being at Hopkins. Now, again, it's been a while since I've worked at Hopkins and it was a long time since I was trained there. Hopkins is an old school institution. <laughs> yes. And I would think that you had you have probably an uphill battle to to get healthcare providers to take care of themselves when Hopkins is that has been the standard setting institution yeah. for for training and and how a healthcare provider lives and works. So, I mean, going from patients and prevention to what you do now, how has that transition been? And and also, how have you worked on on that culture? Wow, that that's a a lot of information <laughs> yeah, to digest, Matthew. I know, so I know. I'll start. But uh, you're probably going to have to circle me back to some of the things that I probably missed. Sure. Uh, so I've been at Hopkins for 11 years. I did see patients up until a year ago. I was seeing patients for a half a day. And finally, uh, I needed to stop seeing patients because I wasn't feeling comfortable with my ability to keep up with the literature. So I had three jobs after my short stint as a practicing family doctor uh, before coming to Hopkins. And each of them gave me a different perspective of employee health and well-being. And uh, I was fortunate to have been um, offered the job at Hopkins because of my intense desire to be the physician who helped guide a strategy to help an entire population. So it's not just the physicians that I support, Matthew. It's all of our 42,000 employees. Um, And that poses its own challenges because of the different professions, different education, different socioeconomic cultures, diversity, et cetera, within our workforce. When I first got to Hopkins, uh, there was no position uh, chief medical director of employee health and well-being. I actually took a job um, that I really wasn't too interested in, but knew the potential for what it could become. 
Hopkins owns and manages four health plans. And because of my previous work with employee health and well-being, I took a job as the medical director of the employee health plan because during the interview process, it became quite apparent that there was no strategy to support the health and well-being of the workforce, only an infrastructure to pay the bills. And so after three months of joining Hopkins and getting settled into my new role, I took a walk around the main Johns Hopkins Hospital campus. And while I was in deep thought, wondering how was I possibly going to turn this institution who's so focused on providing excellent care to the world to have us start thinking about taking care of ourselves, something caught my eye and I had to look over my shoulder and see that there was this huge red truck. I had passed it and I had to pause because something was odd about this truck and I quickly realized it was the largest soda truck I had ever seen. And yet there was still something not quite right. And pausing and looking further, I noticed a a large sign above where the truck was parked and it was a capital letter E. And it only took me a few more seconds to put it together that that was the old emergency room sign. Mm. That part of the hospital had been converted into a delivery uh, entrance. Matthew, I took a picture and that got the conversation rolling. The irony was inescapable. And sometimes uh, we have to create an emotional reaction to get people's attention. And then starting with making decisions like that, is that kind of like when when you say 42,000 people or employees from the, you know, the the physicians all the way down to, uh, you know, the the support staff, is that kind of where you start is is what the hospital provides the employees like nutrition, like starting with things like that? Yeah. So. Um, starting a, a program or an effort is different, obviously, than a big strategy. And I knew that I had to make an impression in order to succeed because of where at that time employee health and well being rested on the priority list. And so we did start by trying to and su- successfully transforming the beverage environment. We, when I say we, it was a collective efforts of other people whose job was something else. I was able to form an alliance with some human resource people, some people in our marketing department, and create an effort whereby we changed the types of beverages that were offered. We changed the product placement We had a marketing campaign so that at the point of purchase, people could see which products had a green sticker in front of them, which had a yellow, which had a red. Uh, Eventually, we were able to price water so it was less expensive than soda. That was just the opposite when I first started at Hopkins. This successful effort certainly created a stir. 
And because of our success and because it was able to get the conversation going, we were then able to think more globally about creating a well-being culture in the workplace that would support everybody's journey, not just those people who were already in the habit of having unhealthy beverages. All right. Well, that, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, uh, a person who's so used to drinking soda for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and then suddenly realizes, well, here's some other choices yeah, and then tries those other choices over a period of time and realizes, oh, I actually feel physically better. Now I feel mentally better. Yeah. Now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start eating better. You know, Matthew, a lot of uh, physicians take it for granted that uh, we know what's healthy, but many, many people do not. And uh, it's not a surprise because the marketing companies purposefully uh, create the message that they want consumers to hear. We had many, many employees who were shocked to learn how much sugar was in sugary beverages and to know that beverages make up half of the sugar that Americans consume every year. So that alone was a huge step forward. So I'm, I want to switch gears a little bit in that I, I'm wondering, um, well, first of all, can you compare and contrast your your role and the title of your role uh, to what would be considered the chief wellness officer of an institution? Sure. This is a great question because when you look at um, non-healthcare institutions, maybe even non-academic medical centers, the title chief wellness officer uh, rightfully implies the person who's making the decisions across the institution. And that title, although it's become more popular in 2023, it's been around for you know at least a decade. Now, academic medical centers, not just Hopkins, have been a little bit slow on the uptake of addressing employee health and well-being. And in this circle, the chief wellness officer is most often associated with a physician who's helping the health and well-being of other physicians. That is the case at Johns Hopkins, as well as the other academic medical centers that I'm aware of. So I do have a colleague, a partner, whose job it is to address the physician well-being concerns. We collaborate. The work that I provide crosses all employees, basically setting up the infrastructure and the culture on which all other efforts uh, succeed because we've put in place the necessary foundation that is supportive of healthy behaviors and positive emotions. So when you say that this individual um, focuses on the health of physicians, does that, do you also put into that category also like the, the nursing population and advanced practice and all that, or, or would that fall under your. uh, Well, it's interesting because we also have an executive director of nurse wellbeing, who's a uh, colleague. Okay. Now, the team that reports to me, we help everybody. So, you know, even me personally, I have supported nurse well-being, faculty well-being. There's different needs for different parts of our organization. And yet the strategies and resources that the team who reports to me brings to the table supports everybody. Okay. And 
When it comes to what we're currently going through, when it comes to the the difficulties of what most healthcare providers these days are reporting, uh, what has led to the nationwide shortage of providers. I, it's it's interesting. I, I always try to avoid using the word burnout because it's actually got that negative connotation now. Are you uh, burned out of the phrase burnout? Well, I, that that's what I hear. You know, it's <laughs> it's interesting, but but it's also I've I've also I've had conversations on this podcast with other healthcare providers that have said, and I've heard this on the circuit too, where they take that term burn a burnout and they take it as it's a term that blames the negative feelings on the provider themselves. Mm. Like we feel like blame, but when it comes to this overall concept of burnout and, and the fact that it's more prevalent these days for obvious reasons, um, how are you and your team addressing that specifically in, at the Hopkins? Yeah, I'm sure that there's been several guests before me who've talked about the combination of individual skill sets to help our own well-being, as well as the institution correcting or providing remedies for the causes of burnout. So our chief wellness officer does spend a decent amount of time looking at practice efficiencies, uh, things that contribute to um, the burden that physicians are bearing in order for patient care to run smoothly. Um, It's no secret that physicians do a ton of work on electronic medical records. They often are the stopgap for other um, caregivers on the caregiving ladder and also do more administrative work than is probably reasonable uh, considering that there are other people on the healthcare team who could do the same uh, and work up to their individual degrees. Yeah. So, and and when it comes to that culture as well, like, because again, it, I, I talk about this all the time, how it starts in our training. Yeah. We're taught to only yeah. take care of others and not ourselves. Yeah. We know or we are generally experts on health, wellness, anatomy, physiology, yeah. how to treat a body properly, how to treat illness, how to prevent illness. But yet, uh, in fact, <laughs> this is actually just coming to mind on the circuit. And, and again, I would hope this doesn't exist today. But when I worked at Hopkins in the 90s, everyone in that hospital knew of the designated spot right outside the hospital where all the respiratory therapists went to smoke. Yeah. And I, you know, so it's that's that sort of culture where we only are supposed to apply this information to others and not ourselves. So that's one of those things where, you know, changing a culture is a tough nut to crack. Yes. uh, Especially at an old school institution with that kind of history. But is that something that you think about when you're putting together these interventions? Uh, Matthew, I'm nationally recognized for addressing workplace cultures. This is the core of the work that that I provide. Mm-hmm. And what you're talking about are norms. Norms are the expected behaviors of a particular group. And for the respiratory therapists, it's smoking. For the <laughs> physicians, it's hard work, not getting sleep, and yeah. sac- self-sacrifice. Norms are difficult to change, but they can be changed. 
Norms are one of six building blocks that are part of the well-being culture model that I advocate for and that we use as a blueprint at Hopkins to support a well-being culture. Good, great. I mean, and and uh, from what I understand, so so that's a good segue into uh, the fact that you have a book coming out because uh, I remember you mentioning in a in a previous uh, interview. Uh, these building blocks. So the book, yes. um, The Cure for the Common Company, a, a title I love, by the way. Um, uh, can you speak a little bit to uh, what you address in your book? And and then, um, and again, cause the reason I, I use this segue is because I remember you talking about these building blocks as part of your book. Oh, yeah. Every organization, every physician practice hospital has very similar problems. And during my 25 years in this space, I always wished, even today, that more managers, leaders at all levels, and human resource professionals would play their part in creating a well-being culture. Because when everybody contributes, it makes it much easier for each of us to have a healthy and well day. So this book is essentially a prescription for creating a well-being culture, which includes these six building blocks. Uh, if we want, we'll explore these six building blocks, but they're based on science. Um, and for this audience, uh, that's particularly important. Each chapter has dozens of references, and it's not a science book. It's an easily consumable and entertainment book that converts or translates the science into practical steps for how each of us can shape a well-being culture on our team. Well, yeah, please do. I mean, if if you want to get into oh, those, sure. yeah. I mean, and yeah. so these these six building blocks is that basically how you uh, uh, put the book together? Is it's uh, this is kind of the I mean, Correct. Geez, for lack of a better way yep. to put it, the building block of the book, right? So, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, there's certainly an introduction that explains the problem and uh, a couple other chapters that um, speak to other aspects. But the core of the book is these six building blocks. And um, many of us you know, are used to acronyms because of our profession. And I couldn't resist uh, creating an acronym that is plan for success. Uh, so the P is for peer support. The L in plan is leadership engagement. The N in plan is norms, which we just covered. In the second word, success, the first S is for shared values. The two C's in the middle of the word stand for culture connection points. And the last S in success stands for social climate. None of these building blocks is more important than the other. The more effort that is applied to any and all of them, the more quickly and the more robustly your well-being culture will become. And when you address each one of these uh, building blocks, you kind of do you do you give uh, I mean, do you uh, define and then kind of give recommendations for a company? Yeah, um, I certainly uh, always start with a story because I'm mm -hmm. a reader and I don't like to be bored. <laughs> so right. I start with a, a you know, a, a story that everybody can relate to because the story is about a company. and. 
a leader so that we can get ourselves into the mindset. And I ultimately do explain the science behind that building block. And then there's usually a story about what we're doing at Hopkins, and there's a call-out box in every chapter with practical steps about how you can create uh, this building block on your team. And there's a second call-out box in each of the building block chapters, which turns it around to you. And so, for example, uh, sticking in the sticking to the norms building block, if there's a norm of smoking on your team and you're trying to quit smoking, here are some steps that you can take to free yourself of that unhealthy influence in the workplace. I don't use smoking as the example, but mm-hmm. more generally speaking, we often think, Matthew, we often think that well-being is our own problem. But the truth is, if we could solve our well-being challenges alone, all of us would already be healthy. Right. We really need the people around us and the entire workplace to be supporting our efforts. Otherwise, it's really difficult to create new healthy habits and get rid of old unhealthy habits. And that's exactly what I mean. That's exactly right. I mean, that's why uh, that's why I mentioned the word culture. I like your use of the word uh, norms as well, uh, because if you have a positive environment that nurtures self-care as opposed to, yeah. you know, in, and, I, and I'm not speaking of Hopkins in this regard because it's been yeah. 20, 20 sure, sure, sure. years since I've worked there. But I've worked in many environments in healthcare where you are penalized for self-care. Uh, when you know, when I was working in the OR, and you know, we'll we'll stop naming names. Um, yeah. It was it was don't even think about calling in sick, and you were actually put on a pedestal if you came in sick. You know those types of things. Now that's changing a little bit these days because finally we're to the point where you have a positive test yeah. and it's a no brainer. You're staying home. Yeah, but you're still kind of expected to come in with the flu or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So when you have that environment and you create that positive environment, then it, it, it becomes just like you said, the norm. Um, and like I said, oh, yeah. I and the institution plays a role. It's not just the team leader. The institution plays a role as well. Um, the leaders modeling taking breaks yes. uh, or staying home when they're sick, the leaders messaging, the importance of self-care. Um, and yes, Matthew, fortunately, Hopkins has come a long way since you left. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure they have. I hope so. That's good. Uh, because I, I, you know, I actually didn't even mention this to you. I, I have a longer history than myself with Hopkins. My father actually oh, wow. uh, trained at Hopkins. Uh, he um, has no degrees. He has two diplomas from, uh-huh. um, he's the first male to graduate uh, Hopkins Nursing School in history. Oh, that's great. That's great. The first father-son graduates in history. Wow. Um, <laughs> so, and he's a CRNA as well, that uh, he was in the original hospital program at Hopkins before wow. that. So he graduated anesthesia uh, training in 73. Huh. Um, so we have a very long Hopkins history in my family. So, um, and he has stories, let me tell you, yeah. <laughs> so, but it, but that's the history. And I, I love learning from the history as well and talking about it, uh, as well. So, 
But what you had just mentioned, I think, is a real good segue. And I love asking leaders this, especially leaders in your position. How do you take care of yourself? Oh, thank you for asking. This is mm-hmm. really important to me. Um, you know, I, I thought I ate pretty well growing up, but I learned and started practicing even more healthy eating ha- habits when I was at college, uh, very much against the norm of college students. And I've always exercised. So those two lifestyle habits were the easiest for me. I think the biggest practice that I adopted and and embraced as an adult is the practice of mindfulness. Yes, That has been extremely helpful in lowering my stress levels. Uh, not perfect. I am still working on uh, getting a good night's sleep more than a few nights in a row. I uh, am hoping to get more uh, good nights of sleep for an entire week in 2023. <laughs> That's great. I, I and again, I, I, uh, I can't say enough myself for uh, a meditation, a mindfulness meditation practice. Uh, I could literally say that personally has changed my life when it comes to dealing with stress and and uh, um, absolutely, you know, uh, health and wellness things like that. Yeah. And you know, uh, Matthew, I'm such a believer after taking a five-day mindfulness-based stress reduction immersion course that I was able to make the case and give him permission to hire someone on our team whose job it is to provide mindfulness strategies and resources for our institution. I also pepper mindfulness throughout the book because of the value it brings to everybody. Oh, that's really great. And it's great that you're able to integrate it into the institution as well, uh, because that that's always been something that I've found um, interesting when you try to sell something like that to an institution. I've actually personally had two uh, inner, I I don't know if they were interviews, but they were discussions with two C-suite individuals at large medical institutions talking about the chief wellness officer position and both, interestingly enough, answered the same way. Uh, I see the value in that. There's no budget for it. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. so, um, <laughs> so selling, uh, you know, wellness to a medical institution that isn't used to that, yeah, uh, is an uphill battle. So, I do salute you for, uh, for well, your efforts. You don't probably start. The, it's probably not the first thing you ask for on your shopping list. <laughs> right, right. That is true. That is true. Yes. Uh, uh, lower the bar a little bit for uh, <laughs> integrating some programs. That's for sure. But um, well, uh, well, Rich, I know that your time is short, uh, especially this time of year. I know you have a lot going on. I can't tell you how much I appreciate your time um, with this. And uh, I will put in the show notes all the information that you wish me to have for your book and any other information that uh, you want to get out there. Um, but, uh, as I always do in previous episodes, I always allow to, uh, my guests to give a final thought. So if you wish to do so, please do. Thank you, Matthew. I'm pretty confident that almost every one of your listeners works and has a job. And I'm also pretty confident that most of your listening audience have given a lot of thought about what they can do themselves to support their health and well-being. I strongly urge each of you to think about how the people on your team and your organization influence your health. I obviously have a biased opinion about what you should read. I hope you'll at least 
take a read of the sample chapter on Amazon of a cure for the common company, I think it'll resonate with you. And the next step will to will be to get the book in your hands. Well, I know that I'm looking forward to reading it. I will be putting in my pre-order. Uh, <laughs> That's great. Uh, uh, myself. So uh, I am looking forward very much because, again, like I've said a couple of times, it's right in my wheelhouse and I'm looking forward to, to learning from it. And again, uh, thank you so much for your time. And um, I hope to uh, keep in touch. And uh, again, thank you very much. Thank you. So that'll do it for this episode. I hope to see you at the next one. This is Matthew Zinder and the Provider Wellness Podcast. Please stay safe and stay well.